All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Our NFL series may be over, but that doesn't mean we're done talking football. We'll be dedicating most of today's show by giving our overreactions to all 16 games from the NFL's opening week. And in honor of National Video Game Day, the three of us count down our favorite video games in today's top five. Welcome back to He's Done It. Uh, at this point, we've we're just coming off our NFL preseason series where we gave our previews to uh, all eight divisions in the league, and today we're ready to uh, give our reactions to what we saw now that real football has actually been played one week into the season. And we'll start things off with the defending Super Bowl champs who. <laughs> Uh, laid a beating on my Pittsburgh Steelers as the Patriots beat them 33-3. to And I think before we get into that game, let's just get it out of the way and talk about Antonio Brown, who we talked about him earlier in the offseason. And the things that he did back then feel so long ago compared to what happened last week. Ultimately, the Raiders decided they were done dealing with him. And just a few hours later, he is a New England Patriot. So I actually want Ben, uh, because I feel like you have the least biased in this conversation to, to start off with your takes on him. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a positive guy. I like to look at the, the, the bright side. And uh, on a Sunday night where the Steelers were once again embarrassed in a huge public display of total incompetence and uh, dominance by the, uh, or well, incompetence by the Steelers and dominance by the Patriots, um, at least Antonio Brown wasn't out there doing it directly to them. Uh, the only thing that this guarantees is Antonio Brown won't be able to ruin the Steelers uh, until the postseason uh, if uh, the Steelers should make it that far. So honestly, it sucked. I, I wish that Sunday night would have been a better game uh, with all the hype and uh, you know frenzy surrounding the whole Antonio Brown scandal. Uh, situation it would have been nice uh, if the Patriots didn't already look invincible uh, but they do so it was a pretty terrible game to watch as a neutral fan and honestly I'm right back on the Patriots hype train of like wait until January to even pay attention to them because that's when the season will truly begin uh, as the Patriots head towards another title yeah I'm not surprised uh, about how the way that game played out with the Steelers just they're just so bad in Foxborough but uh, the Patriots, they were not not much of a hot take. They were probably the best team this past weekend. They looked amazing on both sides of the field. I'm not su- too surprised that their defense looked as good as they did, given the fact that their defense looked really, really good in the preseason. But I had more questions about their offense, given that their weapons outside of Edelman uh, were pretty questionable. But Josh Gordon and Philip Dorsett looked, prob- they were probably the biggest different difference makers in that game. It was an absolutely disgraceful performance by the Steelers on Sunday night. 
I I thought the Patriots would win the game. I, I picked them to win just like you guys in our pick and pool, but I thought it was going to be close. I thought they were going to come out after all the talk in the offseason about getting rid of the drama and Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown to come out and do that. Just both sides of the ball, just total incompetence. And I, I was excited to see what that new look offense would look like and I, I don't even know what to make of that team, but it's just another case of Mike Tomlin being terrified of going into Foxborough, and it was his worst showing, and they tried playing a man-to-man defense, see if that would stop Brady. He put up the same numbers he does always, 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, and I don't really know where to go from here. I, I don't. It, it's a wake-up call for sure for the Steelers, but you're right. The Patriots look invincible right now, and they're going to get Antonio Brown. And yeah, I I still I still think the Steelers will be fine this year, and I actually like them to win the division still. Uh, one some of the concerns I have though, offensively outside of Juju, their receivers really don't look good. Especially Dante Moncrief, he did not play well oh, in that he game. He was so bad. And yeah. and yeah, their defense didn't make many adjustments. I mean, they did stop Sony Michelle from doing much in that game, but they didn't really stop the passing game at all whatsoever. So um, no, it, it, yeah. it doesn't help when you have a, an AAF player as your starting safety against Tom Brady, but I, I don't think Sean Davis uh, subbing in for Cameron Kelly makes a significant difference other than maybe that Philip Dorsett touchdown doesn't happen. Well, I, I don't think that this is going to be the way that Steelers games go all season. They're very capable of scoring more than three points. Uh, I think the Patriots just match up perfectly against them. Bill Belichick is a really good coach, and it seemed like they were just scheming all their strengths out of the game. James Conner didn't have a huge game. Juju Smith-Schuster was just completely uh, covered the whole game. It I just think the Patriots match up well against the Steelers. I, I think the Steelers are still going to have one of the better offenses in this league. And I think they're going to be just fine fighting it out, especially <laughs> well, we'll get to the Browns eventually, but we, uh, I think that brighter days are definitely ahead for the Steelers. It's just really disappointing to see them come and I guess be this, what you expect from them in Foxborough. We expected them to lose, but we didn't expect them to be that bad in the opener. Yeah. No, and I, I think overreaction for the Patriots, the only thing right now that can stop them is Antonio Brown. And we saw how things ended at Oakland. There's certainly some questions about uh, him orchestrating his way out of town, uh, hiring social media consultants to get his release. And it seems like New England was the place he wanted to go. But as long as, you know, if, if Bill Belichick is actually able to rein him in, which I don't believe that he's going to be able to do it enough, and I think that he'll be cutting ties with him, especially after this game, the second that he gives him any kind of reasonable doubt. But it doesn't look like the Patriots need him, and it, it looks like they are they are still the favorites to win the Super Bowl once again. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the Brady and Brown connection, uh, and... I think if it's going to work with any team for Antonio Brown, it would be here. But I do have my concerns as well, just because Antonio Brown is a me first guy. He's he's a he's he's a clown. He he's just he. You know you remember that scene in The Hangover when um, Stu and his girlfriend start arguing with each other, and then Stu's just like, "You're just a bad person." Like that's why I think of Antonio Brown. Like I can't like the words that come to my mind are much worse than. He's just he's just a bad dude, and uh, I don't have 
a ton of faith that I mean I think it'll work out eventually he'll just have thousand plus receiving yards and 10 touchdowns but I do worry when it comes to the point where uh, he doesn't get the ball much and then all of a sudden he starts freelancing and he starts complaining about not getting the ball and ruins the team chemistry a little bit so I there's part of me that likes it and there's a part of me that has concerns it definitely seems like a high risk move right now when the Patriots already look so good it's almost obviously it's like oh you're getting a player of Antonio Brown's caliber how could that possibly be to your detriment well ask the Steelers and the Raiders like you can have for me it does seem a little bit out of pocket for Bill Belichick uh, unless this was the plan from the beginning unless last offseason Bill Belichick came to Antonio Brown and said listen my man I know you're unhappy I know you want to make a lot of money and I know that you're a freaking diva who wants everyone to pay attention to you so go to Oakland sign a massive contract flex on the Steelers saying you got what you want cause a ruckus try to ruin the Raiders we'll just take out one competitor in the AFC why not I mean not that they're Raiders are threatening the Patriots, but why not go blow somebody up on the West Coast and then come chill with us as long as you agree to be cool. We'll pay you some good money, decent money for one year, and then you can get a ring and and you'll be happy about it. There is no question that there is tampering involved in this. Absolutely. If if Antonio Brown comes out and just acts like an angel, then that just more of a reason to believe that this is orchestrated. I, I refuse to believe that every antic that... Antonio Brown did in Oakland was with the intention that he would end up in Foxborough, but I think by the end of it, as things started to pick up, uh, there there's definitely a lot of reason to believe that. That being said, he announced it. He announced it on Twitter. Uh, I mean, after you know, Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, all the other reporters started coming in, but he posted on Instagram. I'm I looking at the image right now. It is a photo of him on the phone wearing an 84 Patriots jersey, which is Benjamin Washington jersey, so I guess he's a big Benjamin Washington fan, and he has sunglasses on, holding cash in his hand while sitting on a pile of cash, money falling from the sky, and in the background, business is booming with a bomb and the fuse is lit, ready to blow up. I don't know. It's this just doesn't. It, he captured it the Patriot way too. Like, how is any of this the Patriot? I was. Way? Uh, that, that is the exact opposite of the point. Patriot yeah. way. This is n- it, nothing. Just, <laughs> this is literally the opposite of the Patriot way and doing your job. But they guaranteed him nine million dollars, and they have a twenty million dollar option on him next year. Which so. is a reason why I don't see why people are saying, "Oh, this is low risk." I mean, you're paying him nine million dollars, or I mean, four four and a half million of that uh, up front, and like. I mean, if Antonio Brown does anything, are you really just going to cut him and waste all that money right away? I, I don't think so. And uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised that it wasn't um, a min, minimum price deal or at least a lesser deal. And you're paying that much for someone that's that big of a that, that big of a diva. And how are they going to afford to pay Gronk if he decides he wants to come back? I was just about to say that. I saw on Instagram a picture of a tweet from Gronk, which was Gronk with like the two little eyes, uh, the or well, just the eyeballs emoji. And they just traded Demarius Thomas to the Jets. And I'm, un- mm-hmm. I'm understanding that they did not receive a player uh, for that. They received a pick, right? Yes. Yeah, it was a sixth round pick. So, so suddenly there's this gaping hole on the Patriots uh, roster for a pass catcher. Could Gronkowski be ready to like come out of retirement to pull a Jason Witten and be his old self right away? 
I mean, hope, did you I see him? I hope. Yeah, I hope. I hope he doesn't come back. Just he doesn't look ready to play. He said he talked about how the past season it took away his joy from the game. Like, I, and there, yeah, I don't Antonio think Brown brought it back, back, brother. He doesn't have to do anything. He just has to catch a few touchdowns here and there and join the party. He just has to block. Win another That's Super Bowl. <laughs> I think right now he could maybe have a spot on the roster, just be inactive for the next two months while he tries to get back in football shape and then show up in December. Maybe that's his plan. But just looking at him and hearing what he has to say, I, I don't know. I don't, what, I guess, if he, what if he offers to join another team? What if he joins the Steelers and then causes yeah. a ruckus there, ruins their season, and then joins the Patriots at the Week 16, just have a little uh, you know, get ready for the postseason when the real, when the real football is being played? Anything's possible now, dude. In the post Antonio Brown NFL, I'm I'm open to any possibility. Antonio Brown turning the NFL into the new NBA. So yeah, who knows? But all right, I think that's enough of the Patriots and the Steelers. We still have 15 other games to get to, and let's get to one from last night. Saints beat the Texans 30 to 28. First overreaction. This will be the best Monday night football game of the entire season. The first one, we already got it out of the way, and it's all downhill from here. Um, I don't know about that. I haven't looked at all the Monday night matchups. This is by far the best game this weekend, though. Yeah, I mean, in terms of just how everything will play out in this game, you had the Texans go down the field with 50 seconds left, needing a touchdown to win, and Deshaun Watson just takes him two plays to go 75 yards. They're up 28 to 27, and the only reason why I got that way is because Kami Fairburn was roughed when attempting an extra point to take the lead that he missed, so he gets another chance, and now you're like, all right, Texans 28 to 27, Dubreeze is 37 seconds left, but they can't just go down the field easily and win this game, and that's exactly what they do. And 58-yard field goal, Will Lutz, it's just a, a wild minute right there to end the game. And this is overall a, a pretty convincing performance by both of these teams because the Saints came out slow. And they've lost five straight Week 1 games. So the fact that they were able to come back from down 14-3 like they did and play so well in the second half and pull out this victory is impressive. And the fact that the Texans, who they got rid of Jadavion Clowney, they trade for Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills on the the day when rosters are cut, but they're able to come out and they played as well as they did in New Orleans, a tough place to play in primetime. I think that the Texans are looking really good in terms of their chances to be able to repeat in this division. I sort of disagree with that just because everything that happened yesterday or at the end of that game is the the reason why I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs because I, I love Deshaun Watson, but I feel like he just has to carry that team. And just the bad coaching by Bill O'Brien at the end of that game, especially with running a prevent defense of six seconds left when the Saints clearly need to get another seven or eight yards to set up Will Lutz for a game-winning field goal. I just hated that defensive formation, and it cost them. So as much as I love Deshaun Watson, I feel like the coaching and the bad O-line play is going to cost them. So I, I do agree with you to an extent in terms of Bill O'Brien and his coaching. I think he's going to prevent the Texans from succeeding in the playoffs, but I don't think that he's going to stop them from getting there. Well, actually, well now, well, now I think about it. So I had originally had the Jags winning the division, but now that Nick Foles is hurt and they got like some guy named Gardner Minshew as their quarterback now, the Texans will probably win the division now. But So yeah, I'll rephrase that. I don't think they'll do much in the playoffs because of the coaching and battle line play. 
I wonder if Bill O'Brien has anything to do with the quarterbacks in the AFC South suddenly disappearing. Maybe that's maybe that's what he's bringing to the table. We talking about I, Mar- Marcus Mariota still there? <laughs> oh right, the best quarterback in the AFC South. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah, I mean, I love this game from front to back. Again, as a neutral fan, it was the, as entertaining as it could possibly be. My biggest worry about the sustainability of the Texans, though, is obviously Deshaun Watson's health. Um, even week one, he's over there clutching his back uh, because he's getting beat up already. So. I mean, like you guys said, uh, Bill O'Brien is going to be the the roadblock that stops them from progressing in the playoffs. But Deshaun Watson, uh, his health, I think, is going to be the only thing that will get them there. Uh, if if he falters like he has in the past, um, this whole team, I think, is is going to have a rough year. It's Laramie Tunsil and four bums out there, and and Laramie Tunsil wasn't even perfect yesterday. He he even gave up a sack. No, like, no, but it was his first game in Houston, so yeah. I, I don't. I think it's exactly reasonable yeah. to on the expect road him to... in a dome in a loud stadium. Yeah, I mean, didn't expect him to be perfect, and he is a good good left tackle. Just the other four guys are really not going to help. Well, and I, I do want to take this time. I, I'm going to do this throughout the this segment here, but while we're doing our overreactions, I said what will determine the Texans' success? Their offensive line. And so far, it looks like that's going to be a key piece. Uh, and Deshaun Watson showed that he can still succeed, but they'll absolutely need to come together as a group as the season goes on for for Houston to continue to have success and pull out games like this because that's what's going to separate them from being a good AFC team and a great AFC team. I like their weapons on offense, especially Hopkins after yesterday too, but uh, I, I I think they need to spread the ball around more a little bit. I mean, Will Fuller, he only had a few catches. Kenny Stills was basically a gimmick running back yesterday until the very end of that game when he scored that touchdown. But they need to do, they need to spread it around a little bit more than just throwing it to Hopkins 20 times a game. I don't know. It works pretty well sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it's totally unstoppable. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on to our next game, and that was the first game of the season. Packers and the Bears. NFL 100 celebrating with these two teams and uh, they did their part of honoring 100 years of football by playing like it was 1920 as the Packers beat the Bears 10 to 3. Yes and I mean it always brings up the like I always think it determines how much you love football if you can still enjoy a game that isn't high scoring because so many I I hear that so much from casual football fans especially after uh, the Super Bowl last year where people were like wow okay and which that's maybe a bad example, but people are like, oh, it's boring because they didn't score that many points. I was thoroughly entertained by this game. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that it was the first game back, but it was still a lot of talent and uh, on the defensive side, especially for the Bears. They showed that they're still legit, um, which is good and important because of how inept they looked on offense. I sort of disagree with that. I did not enjoy that game at all. And the quarterback play in that game was offensive, especially Trubisky. I can't believe someone actually said, hey, let's draft this guy over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. That is a great idea. And the fact that Matt Nagy came out after that game and said, oh, I need to do a better job. Like, no, you don't. You're a miracle worker. You brought Mitch Trubisky to the playoffs last year. And frankly, if he was a little bit better with that defense, you could probably be in the Super Bowl. But... Uh, I just it's just the same thing with me with that team their defense is amazing they're probably the best defense in the league but their quarterback play uh, is gonna 
is going to be the reason why I don't think they'll make the Super Bowl or go any further than they did last year. I, I'm glad that we didn't record a podcast last week because I would have been on record saying that Mitchell Trubisky will continue his trajectory a la Jared Goff in L.A. and the Bears would go to the Super Bowl. Because for him to come out and play like that in the first week... I. My my quick overreaction is just throw out everything that I said. I still think the Bears are going to be a very good team. And I, I don't know if the first game of the season can be a true judgment. Like I said, this is why these are overreactions. But Trubisky is going to... The Bears are only going to get as far as Trubisky takes them. I don't think in today's NFL you can win a Super Bowl with a Trent Dilfer at quarterback. And he doesn't necessarily need to be an MVP type of candidate, but the Bears are going to need to see a lot more out of him. And another thing that I kind of hate to say, I think the Bears need to be giving their running back reps to guys that aren't Mike Davis, like Tariq Cohen and rookie David Montgomery. I've heard talk that Tariq Cohen is essentially a wide receiver now. That's what it looked like based on that game. And uh, which might change his eligibility or his position in fantasy football. Um, But yeah, it was interesting to see how many snaps Mike Davis got. Because I heard it was the David Montgomery show. Uh, and, I mean, they paid Mike Davis, but I don't know. It's uh, I guess that's up to that coaching staff to decide who they think is the better ball carrier. It, I do think that Montgomery is going to take over sooner rather than later. And if Cohen isn't going to be getting handoffs, and like you said, play as a wide receiver, I think Davis will still be involved. But it, it kind of makes sense to ease in the rookie. And I'm, I just wonder how, how quickly they're going to just – say all right Montgomery this is your job to lose and go out there and let's see what you can do I don't have much on else the, to add the Trubisky oh, I guess on the flip side yeah so we're talking a lot about the Bears <laughs> how about the Packers because their defense also looks really good in this game Adrian Amos the guy who came over from Chicago making that game-winning interception in the end zone Green Bay the offense didn't look great either but the Bears like we said they have a really good off good defense so what are the, the takeaways you have for Green Bay after one game going into Chicago and winning? Uh, my takeaway is even though their defense looked good, I'm worried about their offense and the fact that even though they had a coaching change after last season, they still look the same. Uh, and even though I love Aaron Rodgers' talent, I really didn't think he played. I know it's the Bears' defense, but he really did not play well at all in, in that game. And I just hate that their offense is literally just Rodgers – dancing around the pocket and then throwing up a 30 yard bomb from 40 yard bomb from his back back foot and then just hoping Adams or whomever catches the ball I, I I'm not a huge fan of their offense really and, and I really thought it would be different with the coaching change but it looks like it's still going to be the same well I don't think this is a good game to judge the Packers offense on because of the matchup it's so good and not to mention it's in Soldier Field Aaron Rodgers hadn't even thrown a touchdown there in years and he comes in there does throw one this time against all odds it looked like he was just fearless he's like I don't care that there's a bunch of defenders in there Jimmy Graham's tall and he it worked out and that's all they needed was that one touchdown um, as far as actually scoring touchdowns go because uh, they obviously also got a field goal um, so I think I'm going to hold out and wait and see what more we can see for the Packers offense I've heard that Aaron Jones is going to be more involved as a runner this year, or, or rather, he's going to have a more stable role in that backfield. And we'll see what the Packers' offense looks like with a run game. They had nothing in this, in, which you know is to be expected against the Bears. Um, but I think the most important thing, the thing we can truly take away from this game, 
as far as the Packers go, is that their defense at least exists this year. I mean, when you've got Mitch Trubisky throwing like absolutely like dead ducks through the air, uh, you don't have to do that much to look good. Uh, but that D line did look ferocious, and uh, it. it I think that the Packers have a defense this year. Usually their defense is like blowing the game for them and causing Aaron Rodgers to throw Hail Marys. I think that this year they have one that could, might be able to get those essential stops uh, late in the game and maybe make it so Aaron Rodgers is just getting the first down that wins the game instead of driving down to get a touchdown. I just think both teams play the same game except Aaron Rodgers' desperation pass into the end zone was caught by someone on his team and Trubisky's pass into the end zone was not. And that was the difference. I even Big though I've, difference in that throw, though. Come on, Aaron Rodgers' throw is way better. I don't know what Mitch Trubisky was up to. I, I people are giving Adrian Amos big praise for that interception, but in my opinion, it was a terrible throw, anyways. Like it was, I don't know. That, he stared well, he down had a receiver wide open in the end right? zone. Yeah, threw it in the double coverage. So, you know, it feels blasphemous to say that the Packers' offense, led by Aaron Rodgers, is not going to be good this year. Well, I think that their defense maybe isn't quite as good as they the scoreboard would indicate. I do think their offense uh, will get it together. And if the defense, like you said, Ben, if they're just an average type of defense, then to me the Packers are going to go back to the playoffs and we'll see what Aaron Rodgers can do from there. All right, next game. Here's a game that I'm very excited to talk about. Titans 43 Browns 13. Overreaction? Is it really an overreaction? I hope it's not. The Browns are the same old Browns. <laughs> That's an overreaction, I think. Yeah, the Browns, I think, will be fine, but <laughs> losing by 30 in the opener is pretty funny. Outside of Jameis's uh, pick six at the end of that game uh, against the Niners, the, the thing I enjoyed the most was the Browns losing by a lot after all the hype that they've received uh, in, in the offseason. So you you picked the Titans as your upset, Tennessee plus five and a half. That was just scoring against a spread. But did you think the Titans were going to win that game outright? Yeah, uh, I actually, I mean, it's not more of the Titans. It's more of the Browns just because, I mean, Baker and Odell really haven't connected much in the preseason. And it's his first year. I just think, I think the Browns will be fine. But I really do believe that they're going to be off to a slow start, and especially um I don't know. I'm not high on their coaching as well with Freddie Kitchens or whoever, whatever his name is. Yeah. So I mean, the two biggest concerns, Freddie Kitchens, rookie head coach, and then the offensive line, which I think so many people just overlooked and it didn't make any sense to me. Their O-line was horrible. They were down to five players by the end of the game. And I don't think it would have mattered to some of the guys who went out, whether it was uh, someone getting hurt or their starting left tackle, Greg Robinson, getting kicked out of the game for kicking someone else. They had 18 penalties for 182 yards. Kitchens is just, he was not ready to come out and lead that team. They look super undisciplined. And I agree that the Cleveland Browns will probably get better as the season goes along. I think that they're still very much a playoff contender, but it is refreshing to see them come out and play that poorly in the first game. And I can only hope that these struggles continue for a little longer, especially knowing that the Steelers are also 0-1 and they need to get back on track just as quickly. 
Yeah, it's a um, it, it's honestly a nice feeling as a fan of not the Browns or, or just a fan of a different team because you spend the whole offseason and there's all this clout surrounding the Browns and they're like, could Odell Beckham Jr., like Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry all like be first ballot Hall of Famers like after they win the, like 10 consecutive Super Bowls? It's like, chill out. You know, there's other good teams out there as well. So it's nice to see them get brought back down to earth a little bit after being crowned. Like I would argue they were the definitely the offseason Super Bowl champions, right? Like no one else even comes close to the hype that the the Browns had surrounding them. And Delaney Walker put it perfectly after that game where he was like, if you want to crown them, then crown them. But they are who we thought they were. <laughs> and I was like, yes, thank you, Delaney Walker, because he's clearly tired of it too. And as much as as much fun as it would be to see the Browns organization do well, I'm definitely a fan of that. I'm getting a little bit tired of like the the sideways smile you're getting from the star players on the Browns who are already like Odell Beckham Jr. wearing an expensive watch out there. I was there. just about to bring that up. Why you're, does he need to wear a two hundred thousand dollar watch in a game? You're a clown if you don't win with that watch on. I'm sorry. You look like such an idiot. And he's still flexing like this week. He's like talking about how no, I'm he rocking. Says he's the, still gonna wear it. Yeah, I'm still gonna wear it. And it's like. Dude, you you are by definition a loser. Okay, you let the Titans drop like beat you by thirty points, and you're trying to flex on your with your bling. Nah, dude, I'm sick of it. I'm sick yeah, of it. Uh, Odell and Antonio Brown are competing against each other this year for biggest idiots of the league. Uh, yeah, and I, of course Antonio Brown's winning massively right yeah. now. But <laughs> Odell's still in the conversation. Don't count him out yet. Yeah, it didn't make me upset to have Odell lose uh, while he was wearing, you know, something that cost, you know, multiple year salaries for a normal person. If he wears it next week and the Browns lose to the Jets, then that that'll just take it to an entire <laughs> level too. <laughs> if they lose to the Jets, my God. <laughs> so uh, on the flip side, though. Looking at the Titans, I think this team might be a playoff team. I I think the AFC has a lot of question marks. They came close last year. All you know, they had Blaine Gabbert start a Week 17 must-win game against the Colts, and I I think Tennessee they played legit and they did a lot to disrupt this overhyped Browns team. And at one point, the Jim Nance and Tony Romo kept saying was. They were in an enviable position. Everyone's hyping the Browns. No one's talking about the Titans. And they came out and said, hey, don't forget about us. We're still a really good team. We went 9-7 and seven last year. We almost made the playoffs. And we think that we can get over the edge. And they made a lot of huge plays. And 37-year-old Cameron Wake out there recording two and a half sacks. Now, I know it was against the Browns offensive line. But if he can come out and be a beast, they already have a lot of good pieces on that defense. So... I do like Tennessee this season, especially seeing what's happened with Jacksonville and Indianapolis. You guys already know what I'm going to talk about when it comes to the Tennessee Titans. I know I wrote the book. I literally wrote the book on how to win football games for the Tennessee Titans. And it's called Hand the Ball to Derrick Henry. 19 rushing attempts for 84 yards and one reception. It only took one for 75 yards. And here's why. Here's the biggest reason why. A lot of people think Derrick Henry, you run him between the tackles. Derrick Henry, the biggest, toughest guy, stiff arms. He has breakaway speed. Derrick Henry can take a missed tackle and turn it into a 75-yard touchdown. He showed us that with that reception he had. That, that lone reception was all it took to get 75 yards in the touchdown. Give this man the ball. And you can, and you're going to continue to see results like this, Tennessee. Okay, don't forget, don't, don't stray from the Derrick Henry plan. Okay, it's working. Keep it going. 
I don't even have him in fantasy. None of my leagues. I'm this is purely football here. Derrick Henry helps you win football games. If the Titans haven't learned yet that giving Derrick Henry the football is going to help them succeed, then I don't know what will. Right. Exactly. All right, so let's move on and let's stay in the AFC North where the Ravens go out and destroy the Miami Dolphins 59 to 10, 42 to 3 at halftime. And actually was it 42 to 10 at halftime? Still 42 points at halftime. And Who could keep track? <laughs> Lamar Jackson 17 for 20. Over 300 yards passing, five touchdowns, zero interceptions, 158.3 perfect passer rating. Guys, I think we were wrong about Lamar Jackson. You're really gonna crown? We, we, you're really gonna say that Lamar Jackson's now all of a sudden elite quarterback, even though he, he's they beat a high school team in the Miami Dolphins. They're gonna be the worst team this year. There've already been players on that team requesting trades. Like they're garbage they're the worst team they have Xavier howard in the secondary they Lamar have jackson's good just I, I don't know i'm not gonna say he's an all of a sudden elite passer or an elite quarterback or great quarterback I, i'm not gonna go if... ahead and say he's an elite quarterback but he was making some really great throws and as a Steelers fan it scares now, me but now all that... their problems are gone now that they beat the miami dolphins though <laughs> I, I... I don't know if they're all gone like i said hey this is an overreaction to week one and i don't care who he was playing not many quarterbacks in this in the history of the game have had a perfect passer rating. And the way that he played, albeit a small sample size, against a team that I agree is probably going to be the worst in the league. They might not even win a game this year. He looked great. Not everyone is going to look like that against that team. So 59 points is 59 points. Even though it was the Dolphins, he did look really good. Yeah, I mean, I'm always a fan of raging against the narrative, and I don't know how you can prove pundits like us any more wrong than to go out there and literally be the perfect passer. So I, I can't really say anything. I, I, I mean, I still don't believe that Lamar Jackson is a pocket passer. I, I, um, it's a, definitely surprised at what I saw, and we'll, we have to see him do it against someone who's not the Dolphins. But for the time being, I, I can't really say anything. He, you, you literally can't do better than he did. Um, all I can say is the Dolphins suck. <laughs> yeah, that's the same point I have. The Dolphins are just an embarrassment. Over under 0.5 wins for the Dolphins. <laughs> I'm going to say over, but I bet, I bet it happens late. I mean, I remember several years ago when they, the years of like Jason Taylor, there was one year, I think they went like 0-13 or 0-14, and they finally got a win. Near yeah, the I'm, Baltimore. I'm going to say it's something similar to that. Where yeah, it, I'm going to, I'm actually, I have to say, de- well, uh, before I do this, I think I'm going to go with the over on the condition, uh, if this is true. Corey, you'll know. Do the Patriots play in Miami this year? Next week? Then, yeah, definitely over. The Dolphins are going to beat them. <laughs> yeah, okay but they're, they're not playing in december but how how are they gonna God. score i mean yeah the patriots suck in miami but how are Antonio the dolphins Brown, gonna baby. do anything is the heat that big of a problem with that team no way he's like if I'm... the dolphins lose to the patriots next week then antonio brown is getting left in miami <laughs> never to be heard from again <laughs> uh that being said, no, I, I think that they're going to win some games because they have Ryan Fitzpatrick, at least for the time being, as their quarterback. Josh Rosen, I'm sorry for him because that's going to be another season where he's in a terrible situation. Miami's going to draft Tua or Jake Fromm or Justin Herbert with a number one overall pick, and 
that that's Rosen my exact opinion for of Josh team, Rosen but... again. Where say whatever your opinion is on Josh Rosen, it doesn't matter because his he's surrounded by crap. So well, I, it's just it's another last season for him. It sucks whether if you like him or not. Well, Josh Rosen, I think he has the potential to uh, play a lot this season. They're obviously going to lose, and they're just going to be evaluating him uh, so that when they get the number one pick, they can trade him to. Tampa Bay, uh, and they can draft another quarterback. And then Josh Rosen can start over there and just continuously spend one year on the worst team and uh, always earn them that number one pick. A very valuable player, Josh Rosen. <laughs> That's a great I, prediction I just, for each year. Like, which team is Josh Rosen on? That's the team that'll be <laughs> the worst. <laughs> and I, I loved the Dolphins offseason right until the very end when they totally blew it up. And it, it just doesn't make sense now why they would bring in Rosen because he has no chance of succeeding. And it feels like they just wasted a second round pick when they could have just rolled out any quarterback if this was their goal all along to be literally the worst team in the league because they're not giving this guy a chance. And I guess if he looks okay with them, then maybe they'll be like, all right, I guess if he can win with this team, he can win with a good team. But it just doesn't seem like a fair situation to put him in. And yeah, I think it's going to be a long season in Miami. I, they need to do worse than 6-10 and 10 because that mediocrity they've had for the last 10 years has not been beneficial to them. But when you already have players demanding a trade after week one, it's going to be a very, very, very long season. So now let's move on and talk about uh, our teams in the NFC East, starting with the Dallas Cowboys knocking off the New York Giants 35-17. to Speaking of perfect passer ratings, Dak Prescott. I think he might actually be worth $40 million, huh? He's playing like he wants that money. Yeah, I'll admit. I'm, I mean... Dak is not a he's a solid quarterback. He's not a bad or great quarterback, but in my opinion, he was probably the best player this past weekend. He was excellent and not and it wasn't just Amari Cooper, it was Michael Gallup as well. And Randall Cobb even scored in that game too. I I Dak was even though it was a Giants and they're not really gonna do much this year either, but he was excellent in this game and I think I think the Cowboys can I don't want to say make the Super Bowl, but I think they can make a deep run. He didn't even have a typical workload from Ezekiel Elliott, and Tony Pollard didn't do much in his place. So, yeah, Dak Prescott, I'm not going to say single-handedly won this game, but in terms of leading the Cowboys, he was the number one guy. Now, Dallas has benefited a ton from not paying Dak Prescott anything what he's worth. And I think overpaying him would certainly be really bad. Even paying him what he's worth will be a detriment to the team, but they've already locked up a ton of guys. I don't know how they're going to be able to afford all of them, but Dak Prescott, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They need to do whatever they can to keep this guy. And I going still, into the... Yeah, I still have the same opinion that but that core of Dak, Zeke, and Amari Cooper, uh, if, if you have to let go of one of them, I still have the same opinion that I would keep Cooper and and Zeke and try to find a new guy but that is not an ideal situation but I feel like they have to get rid of one or the other because they've already locked up Zeke now and I don't know how if you can pay can you really pay all three of those guys giant money could Jameis Winston be the like uh budget or like low cost quarterback the Dallas Cowboys need for the future no (laughs) 
No, but I, I mean, I, I agree, Brian. It's not just those three guys either. They've already paid Demarcus Lawrence. They paid middle linebacker Jalen Smith. They paid their offensive tackle, Lael Collins. That's a lot of money that Jerry Jones has been handing out this offseason. And he still hasn't even paid Amari Cooper or Dak Prescott. So for the Cowboys, it almost feels like it, it's an all-in season for them, knowing that they could look up very different if they start handing out all this money to all these other guys. And going into the season, I was like, yeah, no one repeats the NFC East. The Cowboys have all this, you know, I don't know if it's drama, but all these question marks about guys not getting paid. Zeke Elliott's hanging out in Cabo all offseason. And the Eagles have a seemingly healthy Carson Wentz. So I'll give it to Philly. And then Zeke comes back, and I'm like, oh, well, you know what? Dallas, they might not win the division just because of history, but they're still at least a wildcard team. Now I'm back on the Cowboys are repeating this division. And, hey, I said last year when they were 2-2 two and two that they were going to make the playoffs. So I think at this point I, I know what I'm talking about with the Cowboys, and I, I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, if uh, Dak keeps playing, if Dak continues to play like this, it's a great year to be all in. I do agree with that. Like they're definitely a contender, whether it's for the division or a wild card spot. I think whether it's them or the Eagles that win the division, I like both both of their chances. On the other side of the ball, though, um, we actually got a, a little look in at uh, Danny Dimes thrower over there uh, in New York, P- potential MVP. So, I think my biggest takeaway from that Giants game is that. Eli Manning is over the hill, and Daniel Jones isn't ready yet. So the Giants, you guys are saying that three wins is a successful season for them this year. I I think that's kind of what they're looking at if that's what their quarterback's play is going to be like, which it feels like they have so many good weapons on that team too. I don't know. 17 points against the Cowboys is overachieving in my book. I didn't expect I mean, much I, from Cowboys guys. even is really good, but 17 points, I, I don't know. Eli looked kind of good on that first drive. Saquon Barkley had that huge long run and then felt like we never really heard much from him again. I, I don't know. I think that they, they jumped out to an early lead and they fell behind and Eli wasn't going to do anything to get them closer. And Daniel Jones, you know, a small sample size, but he didn't look all that great before fumbling the ball and giving it back to Dallas. I would just sit him the, the year and let Eli play and you know teach the kid a little bit and i maybe not sit him like aaron Rodgers did for three or four years but have him give give him one year like kind of like mahomes i'm not saying he's gonna be patrick mahomes but patrick mahomes did get a one i one don't year know. On the bench i'm hearing think, a lot of hype maybe he maybe he's better than mahomes i've heard maybe oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> all right we'll uh continue to monitor that situation but for now let's talk about the other nfc East matchup the Eagles, despite being the biggest favorites of week one, fell behind to the Redskins 17-0, but fret not. Deshaun Jackson is back in Philly, and the Eagles came back and won 32-27. It feels like Case Keenum looked okay for the Redskins. Part of me thinks that I listened to everyone else by saying that the Redskins will be bad when they're going to be kind of like last season, where they're like a, maybe they can go 8-8, eight and eight, they'll probably go 7-9, and 6-10, and 10. They're not going to be anything special, but they have enough things going on around them that they can have mild success. But Kirk Cousins was slinging it just like the old days back there. I mean, Case Keenum. Didn't he look exactly like freaking Kirk Cousins? Like, you could not have a more similar-looking guy come in and replace him with the number eight, too. Um, I Is it too soon? I think it's too soon. I feel like if you want to have your own identity, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm getting off topic here. Um, I was surprised with how good the Redskins were, but the fact that the Eagles held on and came back to win it in like such dramatic fashion, I think shows that the, that Eagles Super Bowl spirit is still alive. Like that, the team that's in there that is underdogs and they they win uh, even when the cards are stacked against them. I think that's still definitely there. Um, and so, I even though this was kind of a scare, uh, I feel like the final score tells us the story more than the actual game, which kind of sounds weird. But I, I think that the Eagles are still a great football team despite being down to the Redskins at some point during this game. All right, so let's uh, move on to our next matchup, and that is the the Chiefs defeating the Jaguars 40-26. to Patrick Mahomes didn't throw a touchdown pass against that Jacksonville defense last year, and he looked really great. And, and the fact that he was getting to the point where he was just so bored that he was throwing passes where he wasn't even looking at his receivers just to give himself a challenge. And i got to say, I really like Mahomes' chances of uh, leading this Chiefs to success once again high-powered offense and maybe even back-to-back mvps my takeaway from this game is that both teams i have the same opinion of them from last year that the chiefs are gonna have a high-powered offense and mahomes likely win mvp or at least be in the conversation but i think they can i think they can make the afc championship game but i feel like their defense is still just gonna be the same where it's just gonna be one of the worst in the league and Eventually, this is the Patriots and the Jags. I mean, I was high on them coming into this year, or at least for them to win the division. But now that Nick Foles is hurt and they got Gardner Minshew as their as their starting quarterback now, I don't like their chance as much. Such a disappointing injury week one to lose Nick Foles for extended time because it was time for him to rewrite the narrative of can he be a starting quarterback? I mean, he's shown in the past that he can and can't mostly can't but and then he came in as the best backup quarterback of all time it would have been really nice to see him do something for the Jaguars especially a team that you know perennially cannot keep a uh, cannot have a good quarterback um, so for me that was the most surprising thing I guess or the biggest takeaway from this game was that Nick Foles is injured and that makes me sad yeah it's a lot of money immediately going on IR uh, he's designated to return but you gotta gotta wonder what this means for him going forward. Gardner Minshew looked pretty good yesterday, or Sunday, and I, I don't know if that just means the Chiefs' defense isn't very good, or if Minshew is actually a legitimate quarterback as a six-round pick. But I, I, I do think that 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 Jacksonville defense uh, not looking as impressive as they had in 2017, and we, it looks underachieving again. Where in 2017 they were the best defense in the league, and last year they were very underachieving and disappointing and it looks the same again where it's just it's just going to be another five and 11 year from them sammy watkins made those boys look very silly yeah, oh yeah sammy watkins was, for him. i mean is he is he better than ty scum hill i'm not sure uh but i i think he could definitely help their offense yeah, so the Chiefs look like they're firing on all cylinders. Jaguars defense is really going to have to step up. Like all three of us said, if uh, they're going to be a contender this year and not having Nick Foles certainly hurts them. So let's move on. We have a tie. Cardinals 27, Lions 27. Kyler Murray, after struggling so much, he had his off, like falling over his offensive linemen. Just, they, they looked like a mess. And somehow he turned it around and took 
the Cardinals all the way back, forced overtime, a couple of field goals. But I think it was a really impressive debut for Kyler Murray, the fact that he faced that early adversity and still wound up putting up a pretty good performance and almost led Arizona to an unlikely victory. Yeah, I still like Kyler Murray to succeed this year and in, for the rest of his career. But I also wonder, like, how, how the heck did the Matt Patricia and their defense give up an 18-point lead in the fourth quarter? Like, Are you I, kidding I me? It's the to Lions. rookie quarterback. It's, it's so the Lions of them to let the Cardinals come back and tie it. Like, oh, God. I'm super disappointed in the Lions for letting this happen, but they're – you know, always mediocre for a reason like this was following the narrative to a t for them but one thing that i really loved about this game was larry fitzgerald looked like a kid in a candy store like especially during that comeback drive um late in the game larry fitzgerald was catching some pretty like amazing throws from kyler murray like throws that you'd see a veteran making on the sideline and you see larry fitzgerald hop up just biggest smile on his face this late in his career uh, one of the biggest things that I've, I've tried to appreciate about this whole Antonio Brown situation is the wide receivers around the league who are similarly talented to Antonio Brown you know they're superstar wide receivers who have been in the league for a long time who don't act like him for instance Julio Jones who just got paid pretty handsomely recently but also Larry Fitzgerald he has been the prototypical professional uh, in in this league and it's I want good things to happen for even though he's a division rival I want good things for him and I think Kyler Murray is a really good thing for Larry Fitzgerald yeah, Fitzgerald has been awesome throughout his career seeing him still going is is great he keeps saying he's gonna keep coming back for one more year and he said he's gonna retire this time but I don't know. It doesn't look like he's slowing down at any point. He's still loving playing football. He's loving playing for that Cardinals team. And it would be great to see him continue to have success and you know, help Kyler Murray going forward as being a reliable pass catcher. If you ask me who my favorite uh, player, non-Boston athlete was, is, it's, it's easily Larry Fitzgerald. He's everything you want wow. out of a player. That's high he's, praise. Uh, yeah, I have very high praise for Larry Fitzgerald. And I'm, I love that he's still playing. And I love that he's helping uh, the new kid out and becoming a successful quarterback. And I, I just hate that he hasn't won a Super Bowl, and I wish he was on the Patriots. Something <laughs> like that. Him is, is so easy to root for. All right, real quickly before we move on, ties, yes or no? Yes, because I, the game can't go on forever. Right, but I, I the answer isn't uh, having the game go on forever. It's find a way to end the game without a tie. Um, I mean, have you guys heard Pat McAfee field goal contest or yes, or have it like college football? <laughs> no, actually, yes. Like Pat McAfee had his like idea for it, where instead of doing like well, instead of what we do right now, uh, have basically a penalty shootout where each team gets five tries at a uh, two point play. So one team's offensive defense are in one end zone, the other team's offensive defense are in the other end zone, and you go, you know, you take turns, just like in uh, the PKs, switching, of course, uh, and then whoever gets the majority there wins, or if that's tied, it goes to a field goal shootout where the the uh, they start, I don't know, at the extra point line, and then continue backwards until only one of them can make it, and that team gets the win. And, and people are like, oh, oh, it's not football. You're putting it all on the kickers. But here's the thing. Kickers are on, on most NFL franchises. Their highest scoring player of all time is a kicker. Because kickers score the most points in the NFL. So I think it would be a fitting. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that sounds like a fun concept. Uh, ties are something that, yeah, the game needs to end at some point. I wish that they did a 15-minute 
overtime period instead of 10 minute because it feels like ties are we're we're oversaturated with ties they used to be fun when it's once every few years but now that it's every single year last year happened twice in the first two weeks it would be nice to see a, a, a little less ties make them a little more special a little more if, uh, donovan McNabb thought... doesn't know ties are your thing so if they thought of a different idea for overtime or a better idea for overtime than I'd be for it, but the game just has to end at some point. So I'm for ties, even though they kind of suck. Under the current system, I guess I'm okay with it, but they need to change it. Okay, so let's move on to the next contest. Vikings 28, Falcons 12. Ben, your lock, Vikings minus four. Now, I thought the Vikings were going to win this game. I thought that was a bold lock, and they came out... 21 nothing lead. Falcons scored a couple touchdowns late to make it a little bit closer, but Minnesota looks really good, and it turns out the key to being successful with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback is to have Kirk Cousins play quarterback as little as possible. 8 for 10, 98 yards. <laughs> well, I think the difference is they have a much improved offensive line. That run game was on fire, and um, their defense is still good, so... I think the Vikings are still a great team. They needed to improve the offensive line. They did that, and they took care of business against the Falcons. I think Kirk Cousins can pass this ball. He just didn't need to in this game. I think the Vikings are a good bounce-back team this year, given um, my opinions on the Bears' quarterback play and uh, the Packers' you know, sort of bad game last, last week. And uh, like you said, Ben, they, they improved their offensive line, and that was a huge hole in their on their team and Dalvin Cook Dalvin Cook looked great last week and I I really think they're a good bounce back team this year and I'm not saying they're going to Super Bowl again but I do like them this year and Kirk Cousins completed 70% of his passes last year that that wasn't a problem for him so going eight for ten small sample size but that's kind of what his numbers are gonna look like in terms of the Vikings being good again I almost like don't want them to just because I was so big on them last year that I don't want to be a year late. But they, if if they can find ways to win like this over a Falcons team who they were not that good last year, but they have a loaded offense and they kept them off the scoreboard for most of this game. So I think that there's a lot of reasons to be big on Minnesota, especially like you said, Brian, what we saw at Soldier Field on Thursday night. Speaking of Atlanta, I'm not really high on it i mean their offense yes they do have a lot of weapons especially julio jones but just the fact that dan quinn is a defensive guy and their defense has looked like that and have been just torched by running backs for for the past few years alvin Kamara's torched them dalvin cook went off last week and james white in that super bowl i mean if dan quinn's supposed to be a defensive guy why are they not that good on defense i just think that they're going to underachieve because of that. And I think at some point he'll be fired. Um, one thing to note, the Vikings were at home here. Uh, they have a really good home field advantage, in my opinion. Uh, so we'll see. And, and I feel like what that really impacts is how their defense plays. Like their defense could be very uh, dominant at home and then sometimes be less than that elsewhere. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But they look dominant in this display. And I mean, defense is going to be huge for them because we saw how good they were in 2017 and the success that it led to them. So if they can continue that, then 2019 could be much better for those Vikings fans this season. Let's move on. Bill 17, Jets 16. 
I picked the Bills as my upset this week. It did not look promising for a very long time with the Jets jumping out to a 16-0 lead, but Josh Allen led the comeback, and my guy, John Brown, AFC's biggest impact player, goes off 7 for 123, including the game-winning 38-yard touchdown. That was a very good choice for best uh, biggest impact player because the Josh Allen-John Brown connection could definitely look good, especially... Uh, since it looked pretty good uh, against the Jets this past weekend. Uh, and I honestly think one or the other, Bills or Jets, can can get a wild card spot. And uh, given their their decent defenses, well, the Bills actually have a pretty good defense. They're one of the better ones in the league. And if they can get better quarterback play from Josh Allen, they look like they can go 8-8 eight eight or 9-7 and possibly get a wild card spot. Yeah, really d- disappointing for the Jets to not get the win here, especially with how hot they started. Uh, but they're... Two of their acquisitions it looked really good. CJ Mosley <laughs> touchdown, uh, and for that matter, so did Le'Veon Bell. So money, you know, they've put money into it, and that money is going to some good. Um, although I definitely think they are going to want this one back. Yeah, even with Le'Veon Bell uh, you know, scoring a touchdown, playing well, they, Darnold still only averaged three and a half yards per attempt. That's not going to get it done. That's not going to get him wins. And I know. Back in our first episode when we were previewing the AFC East, we had all said that the Jets are the most likely team to upend the Patriots. Now, I don't think any of us truly believe that they have a realistic chance, but the Jets have a lot of talent. The Bills, though, it's they, they put it together. They, we've seen them have success two years ago in 2017 when they made the playoffs, and I think the Bills are going to finish ahead of them. Winning this game is a big start, and like you said, Brian, this team could very easily go 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. I think with the AFC, that could get them into the playoffs, just knowing that there's a lot of teams that are kind of... A lot of, the team, don't a lot of middling teams in the AFC outside of the Patriots. Yeah, the so, so it's a great start to the season for the Buffalo Bills, and Josh Allen getting the season started with a win. So they play the Giants next week. There, we'll see uh, if they can get off to a two and zero start. All right, uh, let's let's talk about our next one and uh, the Raiders, twenty four to sixteen over the Broncos. Brian, what happened to your lock? Um, the Raiders were clearly pumped up for this game, and I did not factor in the emotional part of it. The fact that uh, there's been a ton of drama around the Raiders, uh, Raiders team, and the fact that it's also their last uh, like opener in Oakland, uh, there was clearly a lot of emotion, and I did not factor that into my pick, so I definitely regret that. And, I don't know, the Broncos, they're probably not as good as I thought they'd be. Even though I don't think very highly of them, they did not look great outside of Cortland Sutton. Well, I don't know. I was disappointed by what I saw for the freaking Broncos. Um, I... I- the Raiders looked better than expected, but like I said, John Gruden, I don't think this man's going to stay bad at head coaching for very long. Uh, he's just got too much experience. Like He knows how to motivate everybody except for Antonio Brown, and I think that the win here uh, is definitely earned. But at the same time, I was disappointed that the Broncos kind of looked... Eh inconsistent even on the defensive side of the ball I've definitely left something to be desired I will admit that I definitely fell asleep during this game though because that Monday night doubleheader is probably sweet on the west coast but here on the east coast I gotta go to work in the morning (laughs) oh I turned it off after halftime I 
I could not watch the rest of it. I was just hoping tomorrow, hey, I'll wake up and the Broncos won and I won't get any crap for them losing. Yeah. But, of course, they ended up losing still. I'm sort of pulling for the Raiders this year. Just just the way Antonio Brown treated them. Like yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so I'm slightly rooting for them not to have a lot of success, but just have a little bit after everything that's gone on. And uh, I'm... Especially since, I mean, I love John Gruden as a pers- personality guy and how he how he's done in Monday Night Football and the Gruden QB camp. I I do worry that the game has passed him by a little bit. So we'll see as the season's, season goes on. The Broncos were a team that I considered a dark horse in the AFC this year, especially adding Joe Flacco, who I believe is a, a significant upgrade at quarterback in Denver. That offense does not look very good, and I think that based on the first week, the Ravens definitely look smart moving on from Flacco to Lamar Jackson, and Oakland Raiders, I think a lot of that game was emotion, and it'll be interesting to see where things go from here, especially next week having to play the Kansas City Chiefs, but the Raiders, that's a big win for them, great for the people of Oakland winning that final Monday night football game in that stadium, which thankfully is gone. Uh, it's long overdue to not have football games played on a baseball field anymore. But yeah, that that's the kind of game that I think for two teams who had very small hopes in terms of playoff success, winning, starting that the season with a, a win uh, would have been important. And Oakland was the one who did that. So let's move on to the next game. The Chargers needed overtime, but... They beat the Colts 30 to 24 and Jacoby set looked pretty good for this team. And really the reason why the Colts lost is because Adam Vinatieri, their kicker. So I, I don't know. I, I think that the Colts can be pretty good, but this, this is a really crushing loss for them to start the season and the Chargers being able to pull out this victory. Austin Eckler looked pretty good. So yeah, my takeaways are, for the Colts, yeah, Jacoby Brissett, he's a solid quarterback. He's not going to take the Colts any like far in the playoffs or anything, but for I did think the Colts had one of the better backup situations until Andrew Luck retired. Uh, but I think Brissett can do fine. And then for the Chargers, it's kind of the same opinion I had a month ago. They don't really need Melvin Gordon, I don't think. I I really like Austin Eckler and Josh, Justin Jackson as their uh, running back core. So I don't think i personally my opinion i don't think they'll see melvin gordon anytime soon any uh ideas where you guys would trade melvin gordon i know the 49ers and the redskins both had serious running back injuries happen week one do you want him on the 49ers <laughs> honestly uh we paid uh jarek mckinnon, Jared McKinnon like top so dollar. much money um and he's ne- he probably will never play for us so uh, why not you know let's trade for gordon let's pay him whatever he wants he doesn't even have to play Wh- why not sign me too yeah you don't like matt burita <laughs> or jeff wilson jr well that's the thing uh we have we have well we've gotten so much production out of our cheap backup running backs matt breda uh jeff wilson and raheem mostert when they've been given their opportunities they've delivered in a in a certain sense uh they've at least gotten yards and i don't know i that's that honest to be completely honest here i would say no we don't need to waste our time with melvin gordon because we we do just fine with our backups um i'm just salty about (laughs) jerry mckinnon (laughs) 
I, I do think Melvin Gordon, that is an interesting point, him going to San Francisco, because I think that those backups, they do just fine. But to see what Gordon, who, while he may not be worth the number one running back money in the league, in my opinion, I still think he's a very good running back. And the Chargers would be smart to move on from him based on what they we saw in week one with uh, the way that offense played without him. But I do think that Gordon can still have a positive impact on other teams in the league. And San Francisco is one that uh, is worth looking into. Uh, but I guess just going back to the Colts and Adam Vinatieri, like, ah, uh, yeah. So I I thought the Colts were going to win this game. I was super close to making this my upset pick, which I think I technically would have won because the Colts were six and a half point underdogs. I just felt like Jacoby Brissett coming in, they kind of be slept on, and the Chargers are, you know, they're still a good team at home, but it's not like they had this huge home field advantage. So any other kicker is probably out of a job, but. How long do you think the Colts are going to be willing to let Vinatieri figure it out this year if they think that they can actually be a playoff contender? I don't know. It's way too early to be worrying about Adam Vinatieri out of all people on the Colts. But I think, I mean, even though that's not an ideal situation, overall, this Colts team has a lot to be happy about, especially that O-line uh, still looking dominant. And um, who knows? They could go places this season. We'll have to see. Too bad they did not have that O-line for Andrew Luck. That's all I'll It's say. the greatest irony, honestly. They have one of the best O-lines in the league now, and, you know, it's just too late. I, I do think that Brissett could certainly reap the uh, advantages of having that great offensive line and a pretty solid defense on the other side of the ball that Luck never really had. So we'll see where the Colts go from here, though. Let's move on. Rams beat the Panthers 30-27. to I don't know. Do we consider that a Super Bowl hangover? I mean, Jared Goff in the offense, they ran the ball well with Gurley and Malcolm Brown. They still scored 30 points, and they beat a Carolina Panthers team traveling east. So my my like the biggest thing for me in this one was Todd Gurley's limited role, and I, I think that's going to be a theme for this season with the Rams. They're going to protect Todd Gurley's health. Uh, but even though they were down in this game, they looked confident. At least Sean McVay looked confident on the sideline. He was pacing up and down. And I think this team knows who they are. They have an identity they've established. They're confident. And, yeah, maybe they had a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover letting the Panthers get ahead. Uh, but they also had that Sean McVay pedia light uh, in, their, in their cupboard, and they are able to recover from it and get back to it. Uh, a, win's in a, win. a win is a win, even if it's ugly. And um, I think the Rams are right on track uh, coming out of week one with a win. Yeah, I think the Rams will be fine. I, I like them to win the division still. I I still worry about Todd Gurley, though. I don't know if... Yeah, he rushed for more than 100 yards, but he only had 11 touches. And I, I don't know if he'll make it through the entire season. And I still think that there's knee issues or with with him. And even in the, during the Super Bowl, like they said, oh, yeah, he's fine. And then you could tell he clearly wasn't. And then... It's the same thing right now where in the in the offseason they say, yeah, Todd Gurley's 100%. He's, he's full go. but And he looked fine, but it's just he didn't get the opportunities. So I don't I don't know what to think of Todd Gurley. That's all I'm saying. On the one hand, the Rams are being smart with the way that they're, I guess, babying Todd Gurley, getting other running backs involved, not making him make all the plays and be on the field all the time. But at the same time, the only reason why they're doing that is because they paid him that big contract 
way earlier than they needed to. So it's certainly something to watch for because they're paying him a lot of money to not be the They're definitely one kicking themselves back. over that contract. Absolutely. So and looking at the other side, the Panthers, it's, I mean, being able to keep up with the Rams is promising, but Cam Newton, it was a struggle. Christian McCaffrey looked phenomenal, but I think that's just a game that the Panthers could have won. I don't want to say should have won, but they... I think they, they could have, yeah, I agree. They, they had opportunities, and they couldn't make the most of them. So I, I'm big on the Panthers this year. I, I think that the Panthers are very much a playoff contender. I think we're more likely to see the team that started 6-2 and two than the team that finished 1-7. and seven. But This is the kind of game that you almost feel like they really need to pull out first game of the season, facing a team coming off a Super Bowl loss that has to travel across the country. And I, I don't know. That's okay. Thursday night, they got the Bucks, and they'll probably blow them out, and they'll forget all about it. They, they really need to. So... Uh, let's move on. Only a couple more to go. And Seahawks beat the Bengals 21-20. to I don't know if the Bengals are better than we think or the Seahawks are worse. <laughs> but the fact that the Bengals outgained them by almost 200 yards, 429 to 233, and they still lost, it feels like the Bengals might be pretty decent. And... That's kind of scary as a fan of an AFC North rival. I think the Seahawks are worse, or a little worse. Not a lot worse, just a little. And even though DK Metcalf did okay, I think they're. I think the Seahawks are one Tyler Lockett injury away from Russell Wilson having to throw to himself for, for the entire year because their passing game really is sort of non-existent. I know Chris Carson did really well in this past Sunday, but I'm not very high on their chances this year i would love for that to be true but unfortunately i've seen russell wilson do it himself too many times to really count them out yet especially here um he you know they obviously didn't lose but the Bengals, i think they have a pretty loaded offense uh especially i mean just going down the list like once aj green comes back if he's still himself they'll have him then john ross They'll have, uh, what's his name there? Number 83. Tyler Boyd. Tyler, Boyd. Tyler Eifert is apparently healthy. He caught a handful of balls Yeah, if he doesn't b- break his leg again or what, whatever body part he still has left. That's right. And then uh, Joe Mixon is good and Giovanni Bernard's not a bad backup. Like they have an offense that you want to have, you know, at least uh, make it easier on your quarterback. So um, I, I think that was my takeaway from this is the Bengals ha- actually do ha- kind of have an offense. They they have a lot of playmakers on that team, and young ca- head coach Zach Taylor, he's a Sean McVay disciple, and I, I think that it's it's unfair to write them off in the ways that a lot of people have done to this point. Including myself. Yeah, it, it's an impressive start, and I, I agree with Ben that I hope that it means that the Seahawks are just really bad, uh, especially knowing that the Steelers have to face Seattle next weekend, but the Bengals... I, it, it's a kind of game that it almost feels like they should have won. And at the same time as how well they played, is it kind of like, oh, the, the, the Bungles blowing this game that was there for the taking. And that's that's the Bengals that I hope to see, is even if they play well, they still find ways to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, I don't think the Seahawks are much worse. I just think their ceiling is kept a little bit, given that their passing game is not the greatest. And then for the Bengals... 
Yeah, I I remember when we did the AFC North breakdown, I wasn't very high on them. They do, like you said, Ben, they do have a lot of uh, talented guys on their offense. I guess I just don't like to think of it because I don't like Andy Dalton that much, and I have no idea how good their head coach is. He's, all I know is he's better than Marvin Lewis. That's all I know. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm very curious to see what these two teams look like going forward because I feel like this is the one game where I can't make a fine instant reaction. I know who these teams are, even if it's just a week one take. No, I agree. I mean, I have similar opinions of what happened in that game, but I mean, the Bengals are definitely better than I thought, but I yeah, I can't have a final reaction on either team in this game. Truly, we can't have a final reaction on any teams, right? No, it's just that's true, yeah, but especially, <laughs> we can pretend, especially this and, game, yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess, uh, you know, Ben, why don't we wrap this up by talking about your 49ers who beat the Buccaneers 31-17 to this week? All right, um... This game made me sick. (laughs) This was disgusting, stomach-churning, green in the face, just projectile vomiting kind of football. It was gross, okay? Both teams were aggressively trying to shoot themselves in the foot more than the opposing team. They were going all out trying to lose on purpose, or at least that's what it felt like because these quarterbacks were making boneheaded decisions. Jimmy got them started off with a just out of nowhere terrible pick six, uh, but not to be outdone, Jameis Winston returned the favor twice over, uh, which was a big part of why the 49ers are, uh, came out victorious in this game. The defense has improved. Uh, that D-line looked really uh, disruptive, I'll say. And uh, even though they didn't have like a, a crazy amount of sacks, I would argue that the pressure helped to make uh, Jameis pretty much a huge detriment, uh, more, more detriment than benefit to uh, his team. It's a really interesting game because five touchdowns were nullified. I'm sure you guys have heard the stat already. Five touchdowns were nullified in this game. So there was no momentum building at all. Every time a team would make a big play or do anything productive, they'd get penalized and get sent backwards. Like, honestly, at the first half of the game, at least, the 49ers defense was not playing that well. But thankfully, the Buccaneers offense kept giving away penalties, making it easier to play. Uh, If you're a George Kittle fantasy owner and you're depressed because you're like, what, George Kittle sucks now? And incorrect. George Kittle had two of those five touchdowns called back uh, that he definitely scored, and they were flags that were far away from the play, uh, which is always frustrating. But it's the it is the reality of the situation. One thing, and you've probably already heard all this stuff as far as like reactions to this game. But one thing you may not have heard of, Akella Witherspoon. And I'm going to bring his name up, and hopefully it doesn't come to bite me later. But he's the cornerback who's across from Richard Sherman. He has been like low-key hyped since he's been drafted for the 49ers. He's like kind of a lanky, tall guy. And he's been horrible <laughs> for his basically his whole career. But he was like a blanket covering Mike Evans this weekend. And I know Mike Evans is coming off of illness, but he looked amazing. And if the 49ers can have an answer across the field from Richard Sherman, oh, buddy, you better watch out for this defense. 
Did Weatherspoon have the game-winning pick six or game-ending pick six? That's the one. And, and okay, and as far the as the one where Jameis like embarrassingly threw it to the left, yes. like to no one, and then it just landed on the Niners' corner's hand. Yes, a more that was him. the more impressive plays. And I don't know if anybody's showing this, but like the more impressive plays for Michael Weatherspoon were his uh, pass deflections. He had two pass breakups against Mike Evans, and they were the type of ball where Jameis just throws it up into the air, and Mike Evans is bigger than everyone and comes down with it. And he wasn't able to do that against Akello. Witherspoon so it was I think he's going to be an important 49er uh moving forward because if if they can make it so that the quarterback has to throw the other way at Richard Sherman this defense could be good I don't have many my takeaways from this game are the quarterback play was probably the absolute stone worst out of all the games even worse than the Bears Packers one like what was it three pick sixes three pick sixes I mean Garoppolo and Jameis were just so bad in this game and i mean but, okay but the, the niners dean line is good though i will give you that it's just that i can't give him that much credit if Jameis is just throwing it like he was just embarrassed in this game i thought bruce arians would at least help turn Jameis's career a little bit around given that he's a quarterback guru but no Jameis still sucks i'll say this uh, jimmy looked rusty Jameis looked irredeemable <laughs> that yeah. i yeah, I, I think that's a, a good way to, to describe them. And yeah, I mean, that's that's a big, big overreaction from this game. If I don't even know if it's an overreaction. Jameis Winston is he's not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback of the future anymore. If Bruce Arians can't fix him. Can, can they still trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick? <laughs> <laughs> they could. Whenever Miami is ready. I mean, he's right down the street, right, in Miami. All he needs to do is pack his bags and take a quick bus ride over to town. I mean, I wouldn't call that right down the street. It's it's a a pretty decent hike from South Florida. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's end our football talk with that and move on uh, to our final segment. That is the top five. And on September 12th, uh, we will be celebrating National Video Game Day. And in honor of that uh, great holiday, uh, we'll be counting down our favorite video games that we've ever played in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. So Ben, why don't you get us started? All right, top five video games. This one is super hard because I have way more video games than I can possibly cram into a top five. But I've chosen some special ones uh, for this top five. So number five for me, Minecraft. If you haven't heard of it, then you obviously haven't gone on YouTube recently because it's the hottest thing on YouTube right now. But it's over 10 years old. It's been uh, one of the most like cross-generational uh, accessible video games there is. You can be old and enjoy this. You can be literally six years old and also enjoy this. It's uh, such a creative and transcendent video game. I could go on and on, but I'll save you uh, that. Instead, you can check out uh, Affable Chat. We did an episode about Minecraft where we talk all about it and even play the game during the episode. So um, I'm going to move on, but just check that out if you (laughs) want to know more. Brian, what's up? I feel like I'm the one person that doesn't get Minecraft. Okay. That's just me. Well, here's what I'll ask you. Here's what I'll ask you. Have you played it? No, but like I've I've watched people play. No, no, it's totally understandable. It's, not- it's totally understandable to not get it. I was the exact same way. I looked at. It, I was like, these graphics suck. Have you seen 
some of these other video games I have on my list, they look amazing. Uh, Minecraft obviously is bad. And then once you play it and you're like, oh, oh, wait, but I need, okay, I need sticks and coal to make a torch. All right, now I can see like, oh, now I'm like, I have this pig now. Oh, okay, I'll do this. And before you know it, it's been 12 hours and your life has now uh, completely entered Minecraft. And that's the only thing that matters anymore is what's going on in the virtual world. What the it, building blocks look like or the brick the brick houses or whatever is being built. Yes, yes. I, I Honestly, though, like, I would encourage you to play it. I can't have um, much of an opinion if I've only watched someone yes. play it a few times. That, yes, and I, um, I would encourage you to play it uh, if you don't value your free time, because once you get addicted to Minecraft, it will suck all of your time away and you'll just become a gamer. So tread cautiously with Minecraft, but it definitely makes my number five uh, a video game that I enjoy a lot and still on occasion uh, play, even though it's over 10 years old. Okay, moving on to number four, Team Fortress 2. Uh, Team Fortress 2 originally released in part of the orange box back in like, I don't know, 2011 or 12. Uh, it's actually the official version of a mod that was for um, a PC game that escapes me at this moment, but it was a community run game that was so good, Valve turned it into its own video game, Team Fortress 2. There is no Team Fortress 1, it was just a mod for Counter-Strike uh, was the original one. But anyways, Team Fortress 2, class-based multiplayer first-person shooter. They had this really interesting artistic uh, vision for this game uh, that made it really fun to look at and really goofy and cartoony, but also had the competitive gameplay to keep the first-person shooters uh, happy back in the the craze the era of uh first person shooters before they went third person with fortnite a few years later but team fortress 2 definitely number four on my list and i was an engineer main because um at the time i was really stoked on engineering because i was in high school and I wanted to be an engineer and also you don't have to be good at aiming if you're the engineer okay number three call of duty modern warfare 2 and this game was in the contention for my number one because of like solely for the amount of time that I played it. I uh, actually served in Modern Warfare 2 for a month and uh, 17 days. That was my total elapsed time that I played online whenever I checked it. I'm sure I played a few more hours after that. Thank you for like, your service. Thank you. Yes, that's what I was looking for. They let me board yeah, airplanes what, what, early. What were you ranked? A level 70, 10th prestige? Um, I didn't make the 10th prestige. Um, people who made the 10th prestige either played too much or were uh, hackers, because hacking was definitely prevalent in that game, But or modders, whatever you want to call it. But I was pretty good, <laughs> and my friends were also very good, and we played a lot together. Modern Warfare 2 was the community. It was or was part of the community. It was part of socializing when we were too young to drive, and even after. So it, it was one of my favorite first-person shooters. Um, everybody's got their favorite Call of Duty. This is definitely mine. It was definitely my favorite multiplayer out of all the Call of Duty. Yes. And fun fact, um, in ninth grade, my... Uh, during during the Tuesday it came out, my algebra teacher was mysteriously not in school no for that day and that week. And few of us found out that yeah, he took he took uh, time off to get the game and play it. <laughs> uh, I, I applaud this man because it really was that good. It was an event when it came out. Um, but yeah, Modern Warfare Two definitely my number three, which means my number two and number one must be pretty great, right? Um, number two on my top five video games of all time, Fire Emblem. And this is the, I do mean Fire Emblem, the original Fire Emblem that was released in North America. 
for Game Boy Advance, it was almost like being able to play my favorite fantasy novel. Like I, at the time I was young, I was into reading, I was new to gaming-ish, and Fire Emblem just captured my imagination. It became something I was totally obsessed with, and I think it uh, assisted in making my analytical and uh, tactical skills to help me hone those skills um, while engaging in a satisfying plot and just uh, good gameplay so uh fire emblem a turn-based strategy game for game boy advance i still play fire emblem today i played on the switch it's it looks a lot better these days um but sometimes i still yearn for the 8-bit nostalgic days of fire emblem for game boy advance uh and that's why it lands at number two on my top five video games number one and this one was so easy for me this is definitely my number one video game of all time halo 3 this was the reason i bought an xbox 360 this is how i spent my time Pretty much from seventh grade to beyond, <laughs> all through high school, even as newer games came out, newer versions of Halo even came out, Halo 3 always had that magic that got me to go back and continue to play. It was one of the biggest reasons I got into shooters. Uh, this The Halo universe uh, got me to read books about Halo. I played multiplayer with all my friends, custom games. I could go on and on with all the things that, that, oh, even theater mode. I would play the game for hours, and then I'd spend hours watching footage of me playing the game. It was... It was not so. I even listened to the Bungie podcast. The developers of the game had a podcast back in like, you know, when we were in like 2009. And I was listening to them talk about, oh, this map pack is about to come out. So I was truly obsessed with Halo 3. Um, I haven't ever been addicted to a game or just felt like a game had so much purpose in my life since then. And I probably never will. And that's why Halo 3 makes the number one on my top five video games list. All right, I'll go next for my number five. I went with uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom video game. And what I loved about this game, or one of the reasons why I loved about this game was I loved all the places that you can go to in the game. You can go to Jellyfish Fields and uh, Downtown Bikini Bottom. You can go to Goo Lagoon, the Krusty Krab, Chum Bucket, Kelp Forest. Uh, anyone who's a big SpongeBob fan knows all those places. And not only can you go to all those places, but you can even play as SpongeBob. You can play as Patrick. You could play it as Sandy. And not only... If you look online for the reviews on this game, there are full-grown adults talking talking about how much they love this game as a kid and even even sadly as an adult as well. Um, I, I'm I was personally a huge fan of that game when I was younger, and you know even we were still playing it when, when I got we were little, in college. Yeah, <laughs> I even liked it a little bit when I got even older. Sadly, uh, but so it's definitely a great game, and it was so great that. They made a remastered version on Xbox One and PS4, just to show you how great of a game it was. So I went with SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom as my number five. My number four, I went with Backyard Baseball, and specifically the PS2 version in 2005. Uh, any kid that grew up uh, in my era, uh, probably very, especially if you're a sports fan, you it's very likely you played some sort of backyard sports game. Uh, I like the football, basketball, uh, hockey, and even soccer version of all those games. But personally, my favorite was baseball and specific, specifically the 2005 PS2 version. And I love the graphics, the gameplay, uh, the baseball fields, and even the players as well. 
And anyone who knows backyard sports knows Pablo Sanchez and how much of a stud he was. He would be a Hall of Famer if he played professional baseball, even though he's probably Jose Altuve, but cartoon version. Uh, and another thing I'll say about that game, if you had Albert Pujols, Carlos Delgado, and Sammy Sosa as your three, four, or five hitters, you were going to be unstoppable. So I went with backyard baseball as my number four. My number three, I went with NFL Street. Uh Personally, I'm not very good at the sports games like Madden or 2K and FIFA. and NHL, I'm pretty good at. But outside of that, I'm not really great at the sports games. But I was, I did like NFL Street a lot. I love the easy playbooks and the game breaker features where, or the power-ups. And I just love how kind of unrealistic it was to have these giant stud NFL players just play on the street with no pads at all and just make completely unrealistic uh, tackles and um, and hilarious showboating. Uh, so I was a huge fan of NFL Street. So I went with that as my number three. My number two, I went with Grand Theft Auto V. Definitely a huge fan of Grand Theft Auto, but personally my favorite was the fifth one. Uh, I, I love the story mode to that game. Uh, I, I love the characters as well. And whenever you watch a movie or a TV show or play a video game, you want to feel like you can connect with the characters. And I feel like I, even though I have nothing to do with that kind of lifestyle of Grand Theft Auto, I feel like I personally and other people as well probably could connect with the characters very well uh, in the story mode. And just waiting and waiting for Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto 6 to come out. So I went with that as my number two. My number one, I went with Call of Duty Black Ops. Uh, you guys ever heard Ben talk about Call of Duty, but for Modern Warfare 2, I was definitely a fan of that game. And like I said, it was my favorite multiplayer. But if I had to pick my favorite Call of Duty in terms of the complete game with the campaign, multiplayer, and um, zombies as well, I loved Black Ops. And I was, uh, not not to brag, but I was pretty good at that game. I was <laughs> probably, I, I played it too much, I'll admit. I, I, my Kate... My KD ratio was like in the twos and uh, I played zombies nonstop and uh, I loved all the maps that were provided in that game and uh, and I love the campaign mode as well. I, my favorite campaign was Call of Duty 4, the first Modern Warfare, but I did like the Vietnam version as well. So I went with Call of Duty Black Ops as my number one video game. Yeah, I like your holistic view of Black Ops because it definitely had a good story mode and the inclusion of zombies started an absolute craze. Um, Nazi zombies were like a... Well, it's, I guess it started not start, with but World at, it was, yeah, part of that zombies craze that got people another yeah. reason to get addicted to Call of Duty. It started with World at War, but I feel like Black Ops just made it even better and they even included the maps from World at War into Black Ops as well. So you got to play both games basically and that story mode was trippy dude like it was it was pretty surprising compared to like the usual cookie cutter like all right soldier come on kind of storylines that you get from call of duty so i I, my my favorite i did like it as well but my my favorite is still Warfare one just it felt so realistic on what a what my what real warfare now would be like if um if we were there so so, so yeah, Black Ops One in terms of complete game was my favorite COD. Yeah, so I I've never been a huge first person shooter fan. I, I've played Call of Duty plenty of times. I was never good at it and never took the time to get good. 
almost all of the video games that I've played since I was a kid were either sports or Nintendo, and that's something you'll kind of notice in my list of top five. And at number five, I'll get started with a game that Brian already talked about, Backyard Baseball, the 2005 iteration. And I love this game. I played it so much for like multiple years in a row, just continuously playing this game. Uh, I would assemble a and you would assemble like a, the, the all-star stacked team, all-star was, team. Yeah, yeah pablo sanchez would, and pablo eight sanchez MLB and players. eight studs exactly yeah and yeah, you get I, it i did it with the st louis cardinals i'd win the championship every single year yeah uh, go undefeated game, yep so this game does kind of have actually hold a somewhat significant uh, meaning to me outside of just playing a video game because my favorite player among all of the mlb stars in that game was actually jim tomey who uh, was a, a former first baseman at the time for the Philadelphia Phillies. And I loved Tommy so much that I became a real-life Phillies fan for many years. Even after Tommy was traded to the White Sox and Ryan Howard took over as first baseman, I was still a fan and I actually was a big fan of the 2008 World Series championship team and consider that a, a championship that I still uh, of a fan that I rooted for at the time today, even though I'm no longer a Phillies fan. So to me, that that game just holds a, a special meaning because that you know, gave me another world series and the pirates are never going to do that for me. So at least at, at one time, my, my number two team did. So number four, NCAA football, 12, bring, bring the NCAA football games back. It, I think it's going to happen soon. I went with a 12 iteration just because this is one I played the most and the one that my uh, you know, create a player had the most success with uh, as a starting quarterback for the North Carolina Tar Heels. And you were probably I, better I, than Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, I Trubisky was good enough in college, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this, this game, I, I just want them to come back. Madden is fine, but NCAA football is the, the best of the football video games. Number three. So when I was real little, I was a huge Pokemon fan. That was that was my number one game before I became a sports fan. I used to be obsessed with it all throughout elementary school. A lot of great handheld games on the Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Advance SP. But the game that is my favorite of them all is actually for the GameCube, and that is Pokemon Coliseum. So when I first started playing Pokemon, we were on Generation 2, starting to transition into Generation 3. So I know everyone always goes back to Gen 1, but those are my two favorite seasons, and Pokemon Coliseum had both of those. Basically, this is a game where you went out and you had to stop bad guys who were making Pokemon bad, turning them to shadow Pokemon, and you had to capture them and purify them. And I just loved this game so much as a kid. I played it all the time. I remember I got it as an Easter present. While the rest of my family was doing Easter things, I was just sitting in my room by myself eating jelly beans playing this game. And it's a game that I even have come back to. Uh, after years off in both high school and uh, recently and uh, when I was at the the beach this summer I, <laughs> I was playing it for about an hour so even though I'm no longer a big Pokemon fan Coliseum will always be my favorite and always hold a special place in my heart number two WarioWare Smooth Moves. This is one of the first games I ever got in the Nintendo Wii, and I just have so many fond memories of playing this game in middle school with my friends, family. Uh, basically, it's just a bunch of mini games where four people compete against each other, and it was just always a hilarious battle, and it'd always be fun when you get to the very end and you'd have to try to uh, cut people's ropes and hope that you don't accidentally get yours. And I, I, 
that's that's a game that I just remember spending hours and hours playing with people, and uh, to me, it's it's my favorite Nintendo Wii game. So that comes in at number two, and number one. Like I said, Nintendo and sports, the one Nintendo and sports games together that I love more than all Mario Superstar Baseball. This is a game I can say when it came out in 2005 all the way until this year, 2019, I have played it every single year. Whenever my family goes to the beach uh, with a bunch of other families and cousins and family friends, we would always have Mario Superstar Baseball tournaments. It was just a summer tradition. Even if that was the only time I played the game, uh, by the time it became older, there are just so many fond memories playing it. And to me, just being able to go out there, hit home runs with Bowser and Donkey Kong and strikeouts with Waluigi and Princess Peach getting in on the action. Toad was one of my favorites always. Yoshi making great plays in the field with his tongue. Mario Superstar Baseball, number one video game favorite of all time. Waluigi is basically Randy Johnson in that game. <laughs> I always thought it was Dontrell Willis is the leg kick. Oh, true. That's a Who good is Donkey Kong in real life since he punches the baseball? <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad Ali if he decided to be a baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that'll uh, wrap things up for our top five today and today's episode. So NFL week one, we got a recap. Uh, if, if you haven't listened to our NFL preview series, uh, listen to them now because they're going to all of our big takes will be exposed as wrong if you keep waiting any longer. So I mean, like ninety plus percent of my takes are wrong anyway. So <laughs> like you, you can check any episode and they're probably wrong. Uh, so I guess uh, just just a quick plug. So I think Ben and I are going to be recording a podcast together in studio sometime soon. That's something you look forward to. Uh, is that going to be on the Apple Chat brand? Well, it's going to be in the Apple Chat studio. So I hope so. All right, so yeah, that, that'll be a, a reason for you to check out Affable Chat if you want to listen to us talk more sports. And uh, until the, the next time we come out and talk more football and maybe other sports, for Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells, I'm Corn Thanks, everyone. Niners. Niners.